need. Thank you, Jesus, for being the center of our joy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering to us and providing to us as we worship. And Father, we would pray now as we open up your written word that you would speak to us from it, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what you have for us today. In the good and holy, precious name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen and amen. Well, to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and join me in the book of Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts chapter 10, and we're going to spend actually a couple of weeks in chapter 10 of this book, and I hope that um, I'd especially encourage you next week that if you have that friend, that family member, that co-worker, uh, that enemy who has yet to embrace the gospel of Jesus, get him or her here next Sunday. I mean, we always want to make a big deal about the gospel, but um, we always talk about the gospel every time we gather to worship. But uh, next Sunday, especially when we look at the end of chapter 10, Peter's actual sermon, we're really going to just drive down deep into the heart of the gospel message. And today we're going to see how Peter got to that point as I share a message with you that I have titled Pride and Prejudice. Some people view Acts chapter 10 as the pivotal chapter in this book, and some people believe it to be one of the most pivotal chapters in all of Scripture. And the reason is, is fairly simple, straightforward. Acts chapter 10 is the first time that you see the gospel going through the church message and through the church's ministry to Gentile people. Up until this point in Acts, the gospel within the church context has been shared primarily with the Jews. But now in chapter 10, that message of the gospel goes beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. But also Acts chapter 10 was very pivotal in my ministry some 20 plus years ago when I was pastoring a church. And as I was pastoring that church, I became aware that I was pastoring a church that was full of prejudice and racism. I want to share with you just for a second, not to disparage that church. I'm not going to tell you its name. I'm not going to tell you the people involved. I don't tell you anything else like that. But just to let you know how pivotal Acts chapter 10 has become to my life personally and pastorally. As I was pastoring that church that was full of white people, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's where we were, and, and that's fine. That's not a sin in and of itself at all. Uh, but we had a young lady in our youth group who invited one of her friends to church, and the friend she invited to church was a young African-American woman that she went to school with. And, and she came to church one Sunday, and she invited her back to come to church the second Sunday. And it was in the second or third Sunday that after the service was over, I noticed that one of our deacons, and it was a deacon who was not known to be full of encouragement, but I noticed one of, and I had several of them at that church, uh, one of our deacons had, uh, had this young, these young ladies cornered in the back corner. After the service was over, I, I came to learn that that deacon had shared with that church member of ours, please don't invite this young lady to come back to church again. Now here's how the Lord works in his mysterious ways. 
I plan my preaching out. I, I don't just wake up on Saturday night, regardless of what some of you think, and uh, go find a sermon that, that, that evening. But I plan my preaching out, and it just so happened that during this time, I was preaching on Sunday mornings through the parables of Jesus, and I was preaching on Sunday night through the epistle of James, the letter of James. And that confrontation happened on a Sunday as my preaching calendar, my preaching schedule had allowed the next Sunday, no planning of mine, knowing any of this was happening, the next Sunday after this incident occurred, that Sunday morning I preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that Sunday night I preached on James chapter 2, both the parable of the Good Samaritan and James chapter 2 certainly deal with favoritism, prejudice, and racism. And so I preached those sermons, and as I preached those sermons, I, I noticed that particular deacon, his face got a little red. I'm not sure, I've heard of people getting mad enough where they could fry an egg on, on their head. I could have grilled a well-done steak on this guy's head, all right? <laughs> and shortly thereafter, that week after I preached that sermon, I received a message from him and said, I'd like to meet with you. I said, Okay. I know what this is going to be about. Let's meet. And he had taken the audio cassettes. That's how old it was. <laughs> the audio cassettes and had transcribed them. I would have given him my notes. I was just preaching the Bible. I told you before, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. And he had transcribed my sermon notes and my verbatim and he sat across from my desk at this particular church and for an hour and a half shared with me in those, throughout those two messages everything he did not like and everything he did not agree with. And he made a couple of comments here and there and comments today that even as I thought about those comments this week and even as I think about it right now, I try my best not to get in my flesh and my blood pressure is already rising. But one of the comments that he made was this, well, pastor, I agree with you that Jesus did not discriminate, but I sure don't think he integrated. At that time, the filter between here and here was a lot <laughs> less than what it is right now. And I said, fella, I don't know what to tell you, except for you to get a new pastor who will find you a new church. Acts chapter 10. Did Jesus did not discriminate, but did he integrate? Yeah, he integrated. Acts chapter 10, you fool. That's the flesh. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus did exactly what you said he did not do. Acts chapter 10, it's in black and white. It's right there in the scripture for us. And, and, and I came to this determination that, that I already knew, but it was burned into my memory that day and, and it burned into my heart that day. And it's something I'm very passionate about today. And that is Acts chapter 10 teaches us that prejudice, favoritism, racism, and all the like have absolutely no place place in the kingdom of God, nor should they have any place in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I realized that not everyone at that church shared that opinion, 
But I also realized that no one else was willing to push back against that ideology. And shortly thereafter, the Lord provided an opportunity for us to escape. <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. That church at that time was running 260 people or so. That church has about 25 people now. Not just because of that, but because of several other things connected to that. I made a commitment that day to never be part of a church that wasn't willing to be an Acts 10 church. And you need to know as members of First Baptist Church Milton, I need you to know that First Baptist Milton is willing to be an Acts 10 church. In fact, praise be to God that I can share with you today that over the past seven days here on this church campus, we have had African Americans come and worship with us. We've had those of Asian descent come and worship with us. We have people from Mexico who are worshiping us. We have people from Uganda. We have people from Nigeria. We have people from, from Colombia and Guatemala and Nicaragua and Chile that are part of the ministry at First, B to, at First Baptist Church. And praise be to God for that. But that doesn't mean that we've got this thing figured out. Because even since I've been here, I sat with someone who's no longer here at my desk. Who's, you see, prejudice, racism, it comes in all different forms. It's not just the color of skin or the nation of origin. Sometimes it's the type of person that you perceive someone to be. The word prejudice means to prejudge. And I've had, people, I've had a conversation or two here. Someone who told me, Pastor, I just don't know if I want my kids coming to this church if you're going to have those other kind of kids that maybe didn't grow up in church and maybe they let a word slip out every now and then. And I don't know if I want my kids to be a part of that. And I said, Brother, I, I'm sorry. You're going to have to, I mean, I'm not telling them they can't come to church here. So I guess they found a perfect church somewhere and now they, they're there. That's fine. That's fine. But it's proof that we still have to deal with this. It's proof that we still have work to do. It's, it's proof to us that we need to be aware that every single one of us, we are susceptible to prejudice, racism, and, and favoritism. And the church has faced that issue, and we have faced it since the church began, as Acts chapter 10 will show us. Let me get you out of here before Monday Night Football, so let's start looking at our text. <laughs> Acts chapter 10 at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. We're introduced to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. The Jews had absolutely nothing to do with the Gentiles. A Jew would never be called dead as a guest in the home of a Gentile. And a 
Gentile would never be invited into the home of a Jew. If a Jew was walking through a Gentile nation and got dirt on their tunic while they walked through that nation, before they entered back into Israel, they ceremoniously knocked the dust off of their tunic because to take the dirt from that Gentile nation back into Israel, they thought would defile their nation. A Jew would not eat food that was prepared by a Gentile. In fact, if it was even thought that a Gentile could have had anything to do with the cooking utensils, those utensils had to be purified before they could be used. A Gentile, in essence, was considered unclean from the second he or she was born, and they were to be avoided at all cost. Cornelius is a Jew, or sorry, is a Gentile. He's a Gentile, however, who fears God. That word, that phrase, <coughs> fear God, means that although Cornelius worshiped Jehovah, he had not yet become a Jew by circumcision. More on that in just a second. God-fearers, as it mentioned that he was, God-fearers in the New Testament church, and in the synagogue rather, they were non-Jews who had expressed an interest in Judaism. They would attend worship in the synagogue, but because they had not yet fully converted to Judaism, they had to sit in the back as observers rather than full participants. That is Cornelius, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. Now here's what's about to happen. The Lord is about to give Peter, who is a Jew, a vision in order to show him that the gospel, that the ministry and the message of the church is not just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles as well. And more importantly, he's about to teach Peter that if a Gentile wants to come to faith in Jesus, they can put their faith in Jesus as a Gentile without having first having to be converted to Judaism. You see, here's what was happening before the death and the resurrection of Jesus. A Gentile could become a part of the people of God. A Gentile could belong to the people of God, the Jews, but they had to become a Jew in order for that to happen. How did they become a Jew? The way that a Gentile became a Jew was through circumcision, not a great church growth strategy. But that was the system they had in place. Because circumcision was based upon the covenant that God made with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And it was symbolic 
the removal of skin was symbolic of the removal of sin so that that Gentile could be placed in a right relationship with God. That all changed, thank the Lord, with Jesus. It all changed because in Jesus' life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, a new covenant was instituted and that covenant was no longer based on what man had to do. It was based upon Upon what Jesus had done for man. Now, Peter, Simon Peter, was a follower of Jesus, but he still thought as a Jew. And according to his way of thinking, God did not save Gentiles as Gentiles. They had to first become Jews through circumcision. And God gives this vision to correct his thinking. We're going to speed read the rest of the chapter, make a few comments and be done. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, <coughs> Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. We know Peter was a Jew, but also a Baptist Jew, because verse 10 says he became hungry. <laughs> and he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open, and something like a, a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Three times. That's Peter is a guy with the number three. Three times it happened. He denied Jesus three times. Three times this happens. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for, for Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men, there's three again, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. Looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, this, this Gentile, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. It's a preaching invitation. So he invited him in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and Cornelius, the Gentile, falls down at the feet of Peter, the, the Jew, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, 
Cornelius. Your prayers have been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging by the house, in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Preach to us, Peter. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about out doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We'll dissect that next Sunday. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard, Jew and Gentile, all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him, Peter, this Jew, to remain with them, these Gentiles, for some days. How did Peter get to this point? How can we... Make sure that we're not allowing pride and prejudices to keep us from sharing the gospel with all people. How can we ensure that First Baptist Milton is a place where all people are welcome to hear the gospel, to embrace the gospel, to be transformed by the gospel, and to become a part of the family of God? How can that happen? It's very simply can be summarized by saying we must share God's perspective. That's what happened to Peter. Peter began to share God's perspective real quickly on three things. First is this. Peter shared God's perspective on humanity. <clears throat> he shared the perspective of God when it came to humanity. When Cornelius bowed down before him, Peter said in verse 26, no, 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 I too am a man. In verse 28, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In verse 34, Peter says, God shows no partiality. The way that Peter viewed other people is realigned to the same perspective as God. Our calling then. Our challenge then is the same as Simon Peter's. Our challenge, our calling is to view other people the way God views them. So then, 
how does God view other people? How does God see other people? Just from what Peter says, we get a, a, a pretty good understanding from this. You see, God views other people equally valuable to him. There was no distinction between the worth of Peter's life and that of the life of Cornelius. Peter said, I too am a man. Church, everyone we meet, regardless of how different they are from us, they have equal value and worth to God, and we must view them that way. God views all people equally valuable to him, and God views all people equally accountable to him. I'm not accountable for my life with Jesus to you. You're not accountable to me for your life with Jesus. We are accountable, all of us, equally to God. He is the one who gets to judge. He's the one who gets to say. He's not given me that authority. He's not given you that authority. God views people as equally accountable to him. God views all people equally in need of him. Look, Peter needed to share the gospel with Cornelius and his family, not because they were Gentile sinners, but because they were sinners. He needed to share the hope of Jesus because they were fallen sinners. Every single person, no matter who they are, no matter where they are from, needs a Savior because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only difference that God sees in the hearts of people is whether or not that heart has been changed by Him and if that life has been surrendered to Him. Do you see what Peter said back in verse 35? He says, now I understand that in every nation, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's a major statement coming from a Jew, a member of the nation of people that God created through Abraham back in Genesis. When we view the nations... Even those who hate us and our God, when we view those nations as places that are full of people for whom Christ died and people who need the gospel as badly as we do, pride and prejudice begin to move out and compassion begins to move in. To get rid of pride and prejudice, we got to share God's perspective on humanity. Secondly is this. Peter shared God's perspective on unity. He shared God's perspective on unity. Look at Peter's question in verse 47. Can anyone withhold water from from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He's saying these Gentiles and we Jews, we have the same Lord. We have the same faith. We have the same Holy Spirit. You see, It was shortly before this, several years before this, that Peter was amongst a a group of disciples. And they heard Jesus offer some final instructions. 
And they heard Jesus pray right before Jesus went to the cross. Simon Peter heard Jesus pray these words from John chapter 17. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Peter, here's Jesus praying that prayer. So when Peter explains and shares the gospel to Cornelius, Peter is answering the prayer that Jesus prayed. We need to be reminded today that there are no second-rate citizens in God's kingdom. And there is no lower class of people in God's church. There is neither Jew nor Greek, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look, that doesn't mean that we don't recognize what makes us unique. It does mean that our differences do not define us. But our identity in Jesus Christ is what defines us. And hear me well this morning. What we have in common as believers in Jesus is so much greater than the differences that so often define us. And Peter understood that his witness and his testimony hinged on how he was going to treat people as does ours. Our unity as the body of Christ sends a message that the world desperately needs to see and hear, but we won't show that unity unless we share God's perspective on it. Peter shared the perspective of God on humanity and unity, but finally number three, Peter shared God's perspective on eternity. You know, as followers of Jesus, what we do on this earth should prepare us for eternity. In many ways, our path in following Jesus on this side of eternity is a prelude, is a a picture, a warm-up of our experience on the other side of eternity. And this is especially true when it comes to worship which is our primary activity when we gather as the people of God, our worship of God on this earth should reflect what our worship of God's going to be like in eternity. And Scripture gives us a picture, several pictures, of the worship service that awaits us in eternity. John was able to get a glimpse of that worship service and He recorded it like this in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud, non-baptistic voice. They were crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon his throne and to the Lamb. And if that's the worship service that awaits us in heaven, why don't we go ahead and prepare for it while we're down here on this earth. As followers of Jesus and as the church of Jesus, 
we have a responsibility to always be on guard against pride and prejudice. It might be racial. It might be national. It might be related to social status. It might take on numerous forms. But it's always connected to our pride. The solution for pride is humility. And humility happens when we share God's perspective on humanity, unity, and eternity. So I want to ask a couple of questions as we wrap up. The rest of that story that I began to tell you at the very beginning, there was a very sad conclusion. Because that young lady who was a member of our church, that was the last day she stepped foot in the church. She has actually gone on to, uh, and I'm not going to call her name or anything else, but if I were and you Googled it, you would find her. She has, uh, she's gone on to reach a certain status of celebrity in a very niche market of, uh, of the modeling world. But she walked away from the church that day, and she walked away from Jesus that day. Walked away. Because what she saw a follower of Jesus embrace, she concluded, if that's who Jesus is, I don't want him. Uh, we've conversed a time or two every now and then. Mandy and I will send her a message and cordial and all that good stuff. But it burdens me to think that I'll not be in eternity with her because she wants nothing to do with Jesus or his church. Don't do that to somebody. Don't be the kind of person that's going to hold on to racism, prejudice, or if you're just so intent on doing it, Go find an island somewhere and have at it by yourself on that island. But don't get around people. If you're going to be around people, act like Jesus. Because Acts chapter 10 teaches us that the gospel is for all people. And that means that in this room today, the gospel is for you. The gospel is for you. No matter your past, no matter what's happened, no matter what you've encountered in church before, maybe God's brought you here this morning just to remind you that the gospel is for you. That Jesus loves you regardless of what's going on in your life. Jesus, regards, Jesus loves you here regardless of the the religious jerks you might have encountered in life. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And if you don't have a relationship with him today, I'd love to introduce you to him. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. We're going to stand and sing about our love for Jesus.
I don't know what God's placed upon your heart today or, or what God has spoken to you through his Holy Spirit as we've encountered his word. Would you just simply surrender to Jesus? You, you have a sense of what he's asking you to do. I'm only asking you to say yes. Not to what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to say yes to what Jesus is placing upon your heart today. Whether that's for salvation, whether that's for baptism, whether that's for, for saying, you know what, I've got a strained relationship and maybe I haven't been showing Jesus as I should. Whatever it is, just respond to the Holy Spirit's movement in your life. Father, I thank you that Jesus came to die for people who were not like him. For there was no one like him. For all of us have sinned, but he did not. And yet he died for us anyway. And I pray today if there's one in this room who has never placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior, that today they would confess their sin as best they know how, repent of that sin, and receive the offer of salvation that's placed before them today. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, may we never forget that we were on the outside, all of us. We were on the outside of righteousness, the outside of holiness, the outside of God's kingdom and his family. But Jesus brought us near. And may we never do anything that would push anyone away from that kingdom. But may we make a fresh commitment to do everything we can to draw people to that kingdom. Through our words and our actions. We pray in the good name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.